All right, we need to talk about something very serious that affects all of us. Uh, oh. Well, all of us, mostly. It depends on where you work. And that is VPNs, corporate <laughs> VPNs. Now, now I, I, I have a little something that I've been playing with called a Global Protect from, I think it's from the Alta Vista search engine or Palo right, Alto right. something. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I, so I've gotten something to work and I can get on to the, the corporate network so I can corporate network. And um, I noticed I had it on one of my machines and like all of a sudden I noticed there was like a McAfee antivirus thing installed. And mm-hmm. like I was looking at it and boy, I don't know if you, I don't know what a normal McAfee UI looks like, but this one was almost as wonderful as like the default windowing system that you'll have in like X. It was like, Ooh. it was pretty amazing. Yeah, so that's cool. It was pretty amazing. Let me just put it yeah. that way. I can see why that McAfee guy like has gone a little crazy because he had probably had to use that <laughs> UI. Uh, but, but so that pops up there and, and like I'm trying to like figure it out and uninstall it. And I, I think I figured out that it's because of like maybe the horizon or VPN or something, but it's just, I haven't, I haven't had to, um, work with an intranet setup for a while. So what I wanted to do from you two, if, if you have is like what's been going on for the past, Wait, let me count them. Um, <laughs> for the past, let's just round it up and say seven years in intranet and VPN technologies. Is there, are there any sort of like, like Mac utilities I should be downloading or like, are this, does it have Markdown yet in intranets? <laughs> like what, how do, what do I say, do like, there? I think you have to go back. I think there was the, uh, you know, Google published that paper around zero trust, which was sort yeah. of like trying to put out the end of the VPN. The idea is that like, Hey, don't don't pretend that people just get in through your VPN and all your systems are protected. So the idea was, let's just assume everybody is not trusted. Let's get rid of the VPN. Let's build in the right security mm-hmm. credentials that people need and kind of get the VPN out of the way so you can do your job, right? Mm-hmm. So that that was mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like six years ago, and of course, like who doesn't like to hear that? Like let's kill the VPN. Everyone wants to kill the VPN except Palo Alto. Team. Right. Yeah. No one wants it. So most places. So even though that's been out for a long time, you know, what I've seen is companies have slowly moved certain things like email and other things mm-hmm. outside the VPN. You can usually get right. to your Office 365 or your Gmail or whatever without having to go through the VPN. And then slowly, you know, maybe other stuff like makes its way out like a Slack or like a oh. an intro or some, something along that. Right. So a few things make it out. But of course, there are many legacy systems that either people are unwilling to do that or it's just not possible. So then you are going to then have to find the VPN client, which is always the first hunt, right? Is someone will say, here's the VPN client. And if you're using your company's standard image, usually like a Windows machine, probably it will have it. Of course, many people listening to this podcast have probably chosen to use like Macs or Linux or something along that those lines. So that becomes your first problem. Not only do you have to find the VPN client for your specific corporate VPN, you then have to find the version of the client that is supported by the VPN version that you're using. Mm. That can take, I've seen that take weeks. That alone can just go on for weeks. Like, And, then, and it always has a lot of uh, release numbers. It's like 2.1.2.r5. Like, I mean, it can be very, very long because but, someone has done something to make uh, some customization and only this one version works mm-hmm. on your specific Oof. operating environment. Yeah. 
And then and they're probably tracking some, you know, open SSL version that has a, a, a J or an M in it or something. Yes. Yes. So then, of now, course, now, can, can I can uh-huh. I just can I just break in? Because as <laughs> as as well established, I am not a security person. Uh, now, why is this not just built into the operating system? Uh, well, they, here's the thing. Like most, uh, I would say in the case of Mac and Windows, they are. It, the VPN, they usually do have default things that you could use mm. to connect to the VPN. But most kind of back to most corporations have, especially if they're older. And when I say older, I'm just like, I'm talking like five, ten years, right? If they have purchased their own VPN software, which almost everyone has, or hardware, right? That is where most of the time they're going to standardize on some VPN client from that vendor. I now, see. as a, but your 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 question is still very valid. It is another when you can't find the right client or the client just does not exist for your operating system of choice. There is then usually on your corporate intranet. Of course, this becomes a very funny like you know chicken or egg thing. It's chicken like on the, corporate, uh, on the corporate intranet is instructions of how you can use the standard VPN client in Mac or Windows, right, to connect to it, and it will be like a couple pages long. It won't be hard, but it'll have some like hidden information that you would have never known. And it's like and then here on this checkbox, enter this, right, and you're like, oh, okay, and then like it's like magic and it just works. Yeah. But then you have to find. You either have to go to the corporation so you can be behind, you know in the corporate network or you have to like, you know, just through word of mouth, somebody like there's usually like an ecosystem of like Mac people in the company or Unix or Linux people. And then they'll share it to be like, Oh, you got to do this thing and they'll give it to you. So that's the next step. Right. You know, I almost, I had, I had a moment of, uh, of, of potential joy in the hunting. Our friend tasty meets Paul. He, he figured out how to set up the VPN on Linux. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, can you write that yeah. up for me so maybe I can get that to work on Mac OS? Yeah. And in perhaps one of his shortest, most accurate replies to me, he said, no, it's just for <laughs> Linux. <laughs> it, it was just like, it, wow, it works that, on that, Linux. That, like, it's not going to work on Mac OS. Yeah. But, you know, because yeah. you know, I, I was... Just round out. So okay, to finish okay, off the go, beginning, go. I'll say the final phase then is once you get the VPN client installed, mm-hmm. a lot of them today have, in, in a good way, they have two, they require two-factor authentication, oh, boy, which then they. starts like a whole nother loop of like, well, what kind of factor do they want? Do they want, you know, like a mobile device? And if so, do you have to have a special mobile app? Mm-hmm. Can, you know, can you, do you need a, uh, uh, an application that's actually on your desktop running? Uh, is it like a, you know, a Twilio integration, text messaging? So that is like the next haunt of like, oh, okay, I got logged in, but I don't have the second factor authentication uh, set up, which again, every company is different, but that, that can be another, I've seen that go several weeks as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's the, all you got to do to get on the corporate network. I mean, this is, this is, I need to come up with, with a category. Maybe we'll have a jingle, but it's sort of like, you know, Cote's Confusions. And and it's it's highly related to all of the I forget which layer it is nowadays, but to the whole like service mesh overlay that you have on uh, the internet. And as I've said before, I don't really know how the internet works, but my understanding is that if you were to draw it on paper right next to like what a service mesh does, it's identical. Uh, and like <laughs> and so it's just sort of weird that like we have to reinvent this whole service mesh thing when that's what the internet does, but I totally get it. It doesn't for some reason. And and my theory is because, you know, there's some sort of Cisco network admin who's supposed to be changing IP addresses. And like, you don't want to talk with him. You'd rather run a script or something, which is cool, right? I don't want to talk to people. So, uh, but but similarly, it's sort of like, um, 
when it comes to like VPNs and, and multi-factor stuff, like, you know, I got this new phone. I just like pointed at my face and I'm cool. And like, it seems like, what else do you need? And I'm, I, I, I know that's a naive way to ask it, but it, it is just sort of, uh, it's crazy, but it must be secure. So I'm digging I, it. I, I don't even think it, it's it, necessarily secure. I think that, and that's back where that Google paper will outline like why it isn't. And, and it, but, it's but a let different me, kind of security through obscurity, right? It's and, like mm-hmm. you, it's secure because nobody can get in. And, and, and so, and so let me go back to my, my original question, right? Like I always feel like, I always feel like there's some sort of like, you know, dot file that if I just knew I would download this like binary thing that I don't understand. And then uh, I would type something in some dot file and mm-hmm. then it would, and, and then it would like work. It's like, it's like the equivalent of like, if you're forced, I don't know what people do nowadays, but like if you're forced to use a windows machine, you just like, you just install SigWin and you go find the host file and you're cool. Right. And then you don't, don't have to use windows. Like, there's, I I was hoping there was all these little things you could do, and it just not that you don't have to use the VPN at all, but that it's sort of like easy. Uh, but I don't I don't think that's the case. Yeah, well, I think what you're running into, if you get away from the quote standard image, uh, and usually it's Windows, right? Most companies are built around like we want everyone to run the standard image Windows laptop, mm. even if ninety percent of the company is using something different. Like that is. You know, unless someone has really said, no, no, we this like really said the other platforms are on the same level. That's what we want to do. We want them all supported equally, which is generally not the case. Then, you know, this is why you're kind of like left on your own. Right. And which is always funny when you work at technology companies, because like that's the place where everyone is usually doing something different. They're not all going to. I mean, they're almost paid not to run the standard Windows image. Right. Like that's kind of the job is to like do other stuff and use different we- things. But it's usually very especially the larger the company, it's probably more like they're like just assuming you're using a standard and that's how they're fixing it. Mm. Well, we actually have like the kind of inverse of that where our developers are being told you have to use windows because our customers use windows. Ah, <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, and so it's like, you know, you Mac and Linux people, you're all up in your ivory towers, but you know, the rest of us are, are still kicking around windows seven and, you know, more locks and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, that's that's the. I mean, I, I suppose we all see this. That's what I see when I go out and and talk with people. Is you know, it's the thing where like you can't like send them a file or vice versa. Like I, I remember there was one person I was working with, and they were they were using some really weird obscure file sharing thing. And I have to imagine it's like it's the only one that like wasn't blocked or something. But it's just yeah, it's a crazy world out there when you can't just like share files. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's nuts, but it is. I it is. I think I think the the um, you know, it's not even like shadow IT, but there there must be some word for this. Whereas you were painting painting a picture of Brandon, like first you use Slack, then you got Office three sixty five, and now you got to use GitHub, and like eventually there's all of these things, and then it turns out like that the only thing you need the VPN for is to like click on that link that takes you to your HSA account setting up or whatever um i don't know eventually i guess it erodes or not but you know speaking of vpns we don't have any ad slots in this episode and uh we've got some future episodes that could have ad slots in them so you know we had an ad for a vpn a personal vpn which 
I was just wondering, like, I, I wonder if personal VPNs are as, as conceptually a strange thing as corporate ones. It's just that you actually want to install it so you kind of overlook how non-standard and odd it is. But that's fine. I mean, you might have a VPN thing. You might have uh, some sort of uh, systems management or monitoring thing. I don't know. Maybe you read uh, Charity Major's sort of booklet on observability in the new stack recently, and you're like, I'm going to be the observability person company i want to advertise that but what you should do is you should email brandon and tell him that uh, you want to get some ads and then uh and then and then we'll read ads and we'll get back to geographic oddities it'll, oh it'll, it'll everyone's missing those the people need it the people need the geographic people oddity. yeah, yeah. They're, maybe, they're... maybe maybe what we can do is if we can line up maybe for a little bit if it's just one ad but if we line up two ads not only we'll we'll switch from geographic oddities to cote's bread adventures and, and I'll, I'll just every week we have two ads. I will suffer through discovering something new about the bread world. Hopefully, we did, we did get several emails on on the bread topic last week. So keep it coming. We, we're happy to talk more about carbohydrates if that's what the people want. Yeah. Now, now on that topic, now long long term people who've been subject to my my uh, my rambling, you know that I have this idea in the back of my head called how to eat. It's this, this very intricate media property and TV show. We're definitely going to be in, in the tick talkers or, or whatever. Uh, but it's ba- each episode you sit down with someone and they tell you how to eat something like a taco or a sushi or like, you know, you go to the Korean, my, the, my, um, what do you call it? The representative thing I have is you go to a Korean restaurant and they bring in all these little bowls of things, uh, which are all delicious. And I'm always like, I don't know what to do with that. How do I operate this? Right? Like, if you were to bring me chips and salsa and queso and a taco and all that, like I know how to operate that or a hamburger, but like I don't, there's all this food. But anyways, I was thinking as I've been going to the bakery, I realized in bakeries, they have like 20 different types of bread, right? For an American, this is a very odd occurrence, but they have 20 types of bread. And I feel like every single piece of bread has like a thing you're supposed to do with it, right? Like, like you got that one gigantic round piece of bread that's big as your head. And I mean, it's like, seriously, like, am I going to make a, you know, I'm going to slice uh, like a foot long piece of bread and make my kid a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of that. So like, I feel like that gigantic round piece of bread, it has some operating theory behind it. But I think, uh, I think, you know, how to eat bakery edition, definitely in the, uh, in the cards there. How to operate for, for the bread. 2020 or 2021? I, I don't know. You know, whenever, whenever, uh, we've got to get those ads in there. Maybe I'll get my recorder and I'll go in there and I'll, and I'll surprise the, uh, the baker people I, I've gotten to know and be like, Hey, that big old, big old round piece of bread. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh, man. Wouldn't that be great? Like they would be shocked for like 10 minutes and then finally they would explain it to me. But the, I mean, don't you ever wonder that? What do you do with that big old bread? <laughs> now I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go into a bakery and like look at all the bread they have there and be like, who is this for? Who is that bread for? Right? Like I like it. I like it. Do you just ask them for like use cases? Like I need to really review your strategy. Like what's going on exactly. here? Exactly. Why is this bread why does this bread ex- exist? Yeah. This is yeah. what our listeners tune in for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like the bread so, covered the bread covered in pumpkin seeds. What's the story there? Uh <laughs> Speaking of 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 uh, odd bread, it looks like Windows Seven shut down this week. Yes, 
as far as not just Windows Seven, Windows two thousand eight. Oh, that's yeah, that's, that's your. That's favorite, what the right? real people care about. Windows yeah. Seven. Yeah. I don't know. Two thousand eight. The world should care about this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, Seven definitely got more more press because uh, that's what the end users are using, right? That's what the mainstream people care about. The masses. Yep. Uh, oh, those unwashed masses. But yeah, I uh, I am part of them. I'm I'm still running the. Uh, I too am still running uh, Windows Seven and looking at, at upgrading finally. Um, but there's a good reason. Uh, I was looking at that CNBC article, they said uh, uh, 32% of all laptops are still running Windows Seven. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know probably the reason I haven't upgraded and the reason most of those people haven't upgraded is like it just kind of works and nothing yeah. has really changed that much that I care about on my windows box. Like now, I just use it for, for games. That's what I was going to say. Now, when you say you use it, what do you, what do you use it for, for games? for games? Literally just like, you know, two or three different games. Um, you know, I got some steam, I got some Starcraft, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Oh, so is windows seven. Is that the first one where they went all tile crazy? No, I, I think that was windows eight where they got rid of the start button and then they brought it back uh, yeah windows 10 right i think it's just interesting because windows 7 seemed to be like you know that final bridge between like windows xp and the future right and then they tried to like move to the future in windows 8 didn't take it all and then windows 10 is some some compromise of like you know of uh the traditional classic start mode. menu classic yeah, mode, yeah. as well as the future and what's interesting i guess i didn't realize until i was reading through is that there really is no plan for like the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, Windows 11, like the next major release. Like it's not even, there's they've nothing, if you will, on the roadmap. Things. So they've just gone yeah. to this kind of like, you know, just whatever you want to call it, service packs or something like that. So which it's is interesting because... Windows forever. <laughs> yeah. And so what I think is interesting there is, one, it, it's kind of interesting to see, at least for the moment, you know, the operating, it, it's sort of kind of being downgraded to, hey, we're just going to kind of keep this core operating system and, you know, improve it. Uh, year of year, but they said it, it said like it's working better that people on Windows 10 are more likely to just kind of take these, you know, if you will, smaller updates and update more frequently. Whereas, you know, the Windows 7 audience was sort of trained like, don't touch it <laughs> until there's a major version and there's a major version that has something you want. And it seems like that has, you know, haunted them. And I think the same for Windows 2008, right? On the server side, right? It's, it feels like that's very much the same exactly. that, that people, kind of got conditioned to like we we are not moving until they're ha- until we have to do something that isn't provided versus i'm in the use i'm really and i think on the i don't know what you guys think but on mac os it feels like people are i know people will like delay cattle you know but like you know a year will go by and i think a lot of people will be on it and certainly two years it'll it'll really move up so i guess there's something about like training your users to upgrade or not upgrade um i don't know i guess there's pro cons to all of that yeah, well, it seems, it seem, I, you know, maybe nowadays, well, yeah, I think people just update their Mac OS stuff. They, there's, there's probably I, numbers I, around that. They, um, uh, there's definitely numbers, but the the barrier is the price, right? With the Mac OS, it's going to be deployed onto a Mac laptop. So Apple already got their money from that. By keeping people on the latest releases for free, they are able to end a life older products faster. And, you know, introduce new potentially, you know, commercial features for themselves like, you know, cloud uh, services or, you know, whatever they call their stuff. And um, I, you know, obviously uh, 
they're not sharing their metrics that well. But uh, I'm sure Microsoft would like to have something similar. But they said they had 900 million Windows 10 installs. So I don't see them wanting to turn off that you know $130 a, a license anytime mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, you know, I, I, speaking of, of VPNs, I've had occasion to use a, some Windows uh, 10, a virtual desktop. That was an easy oh, yeah. to use things. And and man, I was, you know, my, my, this is a dumb thing to say, but it's just like, I just wish it had the Mac UI. I don't really care what else is going on. <laughs> I just like, I had to figure they out. They already like, put Linux in there, Kote. What more do you want? I, you know, it's just figuring out how the windowing system works is kind of weird, right? Like, and, and I guess I have it figured out, but I don't know. It's just, it's just, well, I think what it all comes back to the, I think you have to come back to the start menu, though. That's why I think it's so fascinating is that I think they clearly, I think the Windows design team, the UI, user experience team, I think they clearly get that this the start menu, the whole concept is just confusing, right? Like, so someone kind of new to computers, it's like, start? Like, what do you mean? Like, you're not, when you're using a computer, it's not like you start and end. You know what I mean? It's like you're using applications, you do stuff, you switch between them. So I think they totally get the fact that 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 metaphor where it started right is is probably wrong but you know they've now trained like generations of people right. to expect the start menu to be in the lower left hand corner it's not even called that right now it's just like i don't know just the circle right you just click on it and um and so when you get in there it is like even when you're looking for stuff it's always weird because you're like the start menu is like well it's sort of configuration and applications and has some account sign off stuff. And it's just, so when you get back to the, you know, I guess the Mac side of it, it's like, Oh, the Mac just makes sense. There's just the, Oh, here's my, uh, my uh, little dock with all my applications. So I just like click on the ones I want and I close them when I'm done. And uh, I'm sure the people at windows totally get the fact that they want to change it. But you know, what do you do? Well, what do you do when a whole they, user base is just r- unwilling to m- move forward with it? You know, yeah. I mean, the, the tile, the tile UI was trying to make it more like phone like and mm. it just didn't take. And so, you know, they are where they are and it'll continue to progress and they'll have people like me who like you know, will be dragging our feet against upgrading for as long as possible or, you know, maybe just let my stuff not be patched. I it's just for games, right? <laughs> well, I think they go like wrong. The traditional office worker if you if you've never done it you've never seen it like i've I've actually attempted this with my wife like i gave her a mac laptop you know this years ago and like it it never took you know so we finally after we basically uh this past christmas you know got her a windows laptop and it's just and you know i i think you know we all have this different places in our life where it's like no we don't we're not gonna learn anything new on this right we're just like you know for everyone has something in their life where it's like no i know what i need to know i'm not putting any more effort into this and so like if you went into most corporations today and you like immediately gave everyone a mac uh like it would, even though Macs are super uh, super popular, it would create an, an immense amount of frustration. Same thing with Microsoft Outlook and Exchange, right? Like you change that out on people, it is, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, ent- people's entire lives almost just you know go to shit, right? So it is, I guess, you know, it's the uh, it's the cr- the success curse, if you will, of Windows. It's like it's well, so successful that people will never move from it, but we're all going to be stuck with it forever. And- and and you know this is actually top of mind because uh, you know Chef is is we we've announced that we're we're doing uh, laptop and desktop management, and you know that's you know another thing you can get from us and trying to figure out how well to support 32-bit in the Windows ecosystem is is a real question. I mean, everyone I talk to says, yeah, we still have it, and. It's, 
some application that won't uh, won't upgrade or upgrades never were available to 64-bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a vendor, you, you just kind of want to like you know knock it off. You know, we only want to support the the you know non-Morlocks. You know, the 64-bit people. <laughs> but there's a, a lot of 32-bit Windows out there. That Windows 10 still supports it. You know, there's still a Windows 10. They're still selling 32-bit uh, devices that can install Windows on them. You know, point of sales and kiosk and all that fun stuff. Uh, so it's it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, and and I don't know if if you guys have uh, we've probably talked about this upgraded to Windows uh, to Mac OS 10.15 Catalina. They dropped their 32-bit finally. You know, there's no more 32-bit support in Catalina, and I had to downgrade. You know, it just cut out you know a bunch of apps that my kids were using. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of horror stories in the macOS ecosystem of like you know entire suites of of products not working. You know, games and audio things, and you know things that have been around for years that they've just been chugging along. So you know, it's it's a big band-aid to rip off. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's interesting because it's the kind of the inverse discussion we always have about digital transformation. And it's like when you have applications that are doing their job that don't, uh, there's no way to really justify the additional expense in like updating them. Like you're not going to put right. an agile team on it. You're not going to transform it because it does exactly what it needs to do. Um, it provides, you know, again, like it's sunk cost at that point. There's, you know, it doesn't cost anything to maintain it or the, or whatever, or the costs are just built into the budget and there isn't any appetite to like, Hey, let's come in and change this. Is that, um, this is where you, this is where I think a lot of customers really end up. Right. And this is where, Hey, it's like, we just got to live with this stuff. And it's kind of back, you know, in, in some ways back to the VPN stuff. It's like, I think most people know the VPN isn't the right solution, but it's like, Hey, this is just going to be with us for a long time. Um, and well, and it isn't going anywhere away fast on any of these fronts. And 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 the VPN is is kind of a, a band aid for your security model, right? Uh, kind of had this, you know, a, a, another parallel conversation around IT managers versus you know the SREs and stuff. And so you know you might have a big you know company that has a bunch of web facing properties, and they've got you know, operations teams that are all involved in the security of, of those apps and, you know, they're up to date on all the latest patches and, you know, they're really on top of that. And meanwhile, you know, they're completely disconnected from corporate IT who might be, you know, three or four folks who their job is to take care of a fleet of, you know, 1,500 laptops and they spend most of their time doing like break fix of, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I mistyped my credentials and now I'm locked out of Active Directory and, you know, can you, my monitor stopped working. And so they're, they don't have a, they don't have the time to do like a, a comprehensive security audit and, and, and move towards this, you know, zero trust networking thing because they're fixing video drivers, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, they're both called operations, but you know, they're not the same job. Yeah. And no one's getting promoted for removing the VPN, right? There's never going to be a time where it's like, Oh wow, that thanks, thanks for doing that. We're going to give you more money and you're going to move up. It's always, yeah. because the only thing that will happen is like eventually something bad will happen and be like, why did we get rid of the VPN? So that's why you have on this real slow thing. You know, the most popular applications get moved out first, like your email. And then that's sort of the frustration level goes down because like, well, most of the things you can do. And then what Kote was mentioning before, it's like slowly the VPN just becomes like, Oh, it's just these like three legacy apps that I need to use. It's, you know, right. whatever, you, whatever you refer to. And it's like, okay. 
Um, and you know, people are just like, hey, I'd rather just stick the users with a bad experience than to go through the effort of like removing it, which will cost money. And then inevitably I would I'm gonna feel blamed if something bad happens. People are gonna come back to me and say, they're not gonna say you did a good job removing the VPN. They're gonna say, Why did you remove the VPN? Because this bad thing just right. happened. Even and, if the VPN isn't actually um solving the problem. Right. And and when when people talked about like, you know, the end of IT and stuff, they were talking about like development taking over operations of the apps and stuff but that that it team that's managing laptops and stuff it never grew but it also never shrank they just got more responsibility and outsourced more of it into SaaS's. um and so what what it leaves them with is like the crap that nobody really wants <laughs> yeah ah sunny yeah that that whole bring, bring your own maybe... bring your own device thing didn't really pan out, I yeah. guess. Except for it phones. ends up for some places. Right? It does, and I think um, you know that's where we have to kind of maybe go with it. It's like whenever someone's giving like a culture talk, right? This is someone you can kind of roll your eyes. It's like this is like if there's a place where maybe on the evangelism side, like just collectively the industry, and I mean all of the industry, it's like it's great for everyone that when you hear the digital transformation talk, it's very aspirational, and there are lots of things that can happen, but. You know, most of the people in the audience, like if you want to say like when people are saying like you don't get it or your culture's not changing is like I don't know if the people like asking to change like truly understand the the current things, the problems people are facing like this VPN and this Windows. It's like it's not just like, oh, we're not we're not unwilling to reorganize ourselves. It's just like the amount of cost and money and time to try to move this forward is just simply too much for the organization. Right. Mm. That's why we're going to be stuck with this for a while. Or, you know, and if someone just responds, well, you know, the reason is you're not having an agile team and you're not like doing it in a cloud native way. You don't have the right yeah. culture. It's like, you know, that's not really that's not really helping. Right. Like writing a book and then saying this is the future is like, that's good. I mean, it's not bad, but it's also there's a lot left out of those books. Right. Where it's like, what am I going to do with a thousand applications that run on Windows 2008 that are all like relatively small, but provide some business value? And I've got to sit here and maintain them like, you know. Like yeah, you came in, you gave me a great talk, but like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to, how are you going to help me? You don't really talk about, you know, DevOps in the maintenance. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. Well, so, so what you must see these, uh, these ser windows server 2008 things out there, Matt Ray, what do people run on that? Uh, a whole lot of IIS apps. Um, oh yeah. You know, Does that mean yeah. they're ASP apps? Definitely, definitely. I mean, now, it's just all. Now, is those, this is yeah. this the mythical departmental applications I used to hear yeah. so much about? Yes, uh, departmental applications, internal, like you know, they're not a, they're not a SaaS. They're just you know a, an app that needs to stay up and running because it's providing some internal business service and it hasn't changed in forever and it just kind of works and nobody wants to touch it. So it. Uh, just kind of pokes along until your operating system vendor says this thing's got to move. And and like, what do these apps do that you've that you've seen? What are what are the types of of uh, they are? I mean, some of them are like you know, some of them are banking apps uh, where they're you know, there's there are lots of little things that happen in banking. You know, lots of different products that. Uh, you know, it, I mean, you might say, well, oh, it's credit card, but then, you know, credit card has like all these other services that support it. Um, 
know, payment gateways and, you know, talking to all these other mm. different vendors and, you know, how all that stuff ties together. It's just a big tangled web yeah. of services inside. And then, you know, if you were, uh, you know, some other, you know, most of my customers are financial services. So, you know, but if you were, you know, some other sort of service, uh, it might be, you know, hey, this is how it, it's, it's kind of just internal glue code. Mm-hmm. maybe maybe, well, maybe like also, if you're if you're at a warehouse you've got to like schedule like when packages come and go and exactly like account for it's, trucks and so yeah. instead of having a clipboard you've got this app you go to and you're like oh this truck is here for this time and then it's going to leave and this other truck comes in the bay and yeah whatever. yeah i mean literally like another customer I work with runs uh, a port and they have a truck scheduling app that you know the the truckers go online and we'll see that's that's web facing though uh you know actually they have kiosks where the truckers come up to the port and they punch in you know hey here's the availability of when i can come in and it gives them like oh here's here's when you're allowed to bring your truck to the dock mm. you know because they so they don't have like you know 150 trucks trying right, to right, enter right. all at the same time they they all log into this uh site but it's it's just little purpose-built applications like that nice. and they've been working fine for years and it just kind of clogs you know it just builds up and accretes over time and you know they work and nobody wants to rewrite them you know those are that's those are great for like theoretically thinking about like how you should do the business value this is like ongoing quagmire of software development right is like business value and uh those seem like pretty discreet it's pretty easy to tell their value or, or to put it another way, it's pretty easy to tell how cheap they are, <laughs> right? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like in contrast, you- if you wanted to rewrite this application to be just ready for a SRE to manage or whatever, like you'd be like, oh, that's going to cost me a lot of money. Like I don't even know how cheap this this uh, truck routing thing is because I don't have to pay anything for it. And right. so uh, in, until there's some crisis, I mean, even even if it's like, you know, there's no more support for the server, like you're probably going to coast off of that for like probably as long as it doesn't go down like five times or something. Absolutely. And, Which and is so, why we're talking about, you know, windows 2008. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah know, and, 12 and, years and so, later. So it seems like you could derive some sort of reusable model for like valuing if you should just like do this software project or not from, from that kind of thing. It's, you know, as opposed to like chasing a large strategy that has like a theoretic return on it. That's going to allow you to become a tech company or whatever. But all well, the, all those little apps are like sort of almost more interesting to look at from a uh, sort of planning angle. I mean, isn't that what your degree is in, Matt Ray? You're 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 a master of uh, planning out fault, Matt IT. Ray? Isn't it your this fault? Is, this is this is my problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, most of the companies writing those apps are you know when they wrote them and mm-hmm. and probably even today aren't thinking, oh, we're a technology company. I mean, literally, they're like, we run a port. You know, they, they're not like, we're going to take this port online and we're going to be the biggest port that ever did, you know. Porting? No. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, we're tied to this geographic location. Maybe some of the software would be useful at other ports around the world. But, you know, so though there are competitors. We're not going to share with them. And that's how these banks are. You know, they all have, you know, they're all competing over, you know, kind of the same thing. There are companies that will come in and sell them services or, or software that, you know, deals with a lot of things, but they still have all sorts of kicking to fit edge cases. 
you know, mm. where they like, you know, we have to write this glue code. And once that glue code's written, you know, it doesn't matter if it was written in VB in 2009, it works fine. It's not fallen over. It's battle tested. You know, banking hasn't changed. Um, yeah, this, is, like, give you a sense this is why I like, this is why like chef stuff such, must be so great because you can like go find this old <laughs> stuff and like sell to it or you can get the new stuff. And it's just like, I don't know, we just configure shit, right? Like if it's old or new, it doesn't matter. And uh, Exactly. I mean, uh, it, it, it's lovely. You know, I get to touch any given day. I'm going to touch Windows 7, you know, Kubernetes and Kali Linux all at the same time. Mm. Um, I, I keep interrupting you though brandon what? no i was just gonna say like i mean i think you know matt hits on finance but like you know just to give you like some you know broaden it out a little bit is we have you know if you think about these applications in healthcare, you know government insurance travel and transportation defense automotive manufacturing you know kind of the list goes on so if you kind of like start to think about all of these different domains that do have you know pretty significant investment in it and then you say to yourself well how many of these let's call them smaller domain specific homegrown apps exist um you know you're going to easily get tens of thousands you know potentially millions right and they're all running have been designed when they were designed at the time right they would maybe they did run on 2008 maybe they ran something like in the net that's highly coupled to um the operating system and that's where you know all of these companies kind of when they're sitting there and they're doing your to your point your value stream analysis it's you know most of the time it's like yeah we're not paying anything for it today or we don't feel like we are and there isn't any appetite to move it forward so that's where you know when we talk about like end of lifeing things if you are successful like microsoft that's where you kind of get stuck with like hey you're gonna have to find some way to help these customers mm. um or stuff just starts breaking and at that point right you know only at that point does it get addressed yeah, there must there should be a name for that category because I feel like I feel like let's say on one end you have like the coffee machine in the break room, right? And uh, that's that's like not a critical asset. And so if it breaks, like I don't know, not a big deal, right? And and then and then you might have the thing on the factory line floor that like you know screws in uh, a bolt, or do you screw in a bolt? You screw you screw because you got a nut, so it screws in a bolt. And like, if that breaks, you're fucked. The whole company could go down if you don't fix that. And so like, that's pretty critical. And then somewhere in between there is sort of like scheduling the person to go fix the coffee pot, I think, like all those little tiny apps. And, and it is, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do with those. Maybe maybe a lot of them just become like workflows and service now or something. That's, you that's hope. probably, that's probably mm-hmm. what yeah. happens. I mean, you, eventually you, you know, throw it all out and start fresh. Hmm. You know, or switch to workday or whatever it may be. I, or something I saw, else happens. Company gets acquired, right? Company goes out of business, or you know, something. You know, that's the other way that's popularized. It's like acquisitions, right? Or the way that a lot of these things really get end of life. Well, and and when you know private equity comes in and they take that inventory of all the you know all the assets that are inside, it's like you know how much do they decide to throw out? That yeah. that's you know they finally get a a. Well, an invested outsider, you know, who wants to write the ship and they're going to be like, this legacy stuff all has to go because they, they can at least take an accounting of the actual sunk cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember what we used to call them. Craplications. That, <laughs> that's, yeah. I, get, crap. I, get, I, get, I guess what you have to do is like you have to prove that it's like the, the bolt screw or anything. This, this, this seemingly innocuous craplication actually like slows down uh, business happening. 
and uh and 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 I imagine that's always kind of like a little shocking thing to be like, I don't understand why this piece of shit application is so critical. And then uh and then you you end up fixing it. Wow. Craplications. Fun stuff, but probably what most people spend their time on. So that, you know, related to that, Google bought like uh one of these low code platforms. Now yeah. I'm never really sure what to think of low code and citizen developers. So listen, I'm going to admit I didn't really read the article uh, <laughs> about, about what's going on there. But I, you know, I, I assume last time I checked in on low code, uh, it was like, you know, FileMaker type of stuff, right? Where you can kind of graphically compose some workflows and maybe interchange data. I mean, I guess I guess the lowest low code is that IFTTTT thing where you're sort of like do some uh, some service integration between stuff. But I think you could, you know, you can build out uh, much more complicated applications with the low code thing. And some of them like even generate code for you, as as I recall. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you all ever see low code things? Is that a thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, when when people start putting workflows on top of like ServiceNow and, um, you know, the the Microsoft office, you know, platforms and the Google uh, office platforms, you know, that's exactly what this kind of stuff is. It's just that glue code of, you know, stuff from this spreadsheet goes into this database and, you know, enters a field into that, you know, thing. It's, uh, it's the same kind of code we're talking about, really. It's just now instead of running on, you know, instead of a visual basic app running on windows 2008, it's moved on to, well, it's, a you know, uh, if this, then that kind of thing where it's a function as a service. And hopefully, hopefully that's going to, I don't know, be less tied to a platform in the future or, you know, easier to, to keep to support going forward. But I think there's just this, you know, huge ball of, of wax that keeps rolling forward and, you know, <laughs> things will break off and get replaced with the latest, you know, app sheet or whatever. But, uh, yeah. And, keep and, and I, I guess being part of Google Cloud, it would give it, it gives. Uh, yeah, I mean, it gives them the ability to make to offer like making these little little uh, applications. And then, you know, if you put the power of the machine learning in there, I'm sure that's, yeah. that's some big deal. But it is it is funny, uh, you know, I, now that I'm doing my research in, in real time, you look at some of their uh, example applications and therefore uh, tracking for, forklift damage. I guess probably in a warehouse. So my sense is that the warehouse is the ultimate craplication. It's like the pet store. It's like the pet <laughs> no, store of uh, of things. Like <laughs> whatever whatever sort of IT mystery you want to sort out is going to be happening at the warehouses. They 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 got but, all of it. And and that's why like you know when Amazon buys up their you know digital warehouse companies, they don't let other people use that stuff they keep it to themselves and you know they've bought a bunch of you know warehouse robotics companies and things like that like they stop selling to their cus- to to those companies customers you know they don't want to they don't want to share that they want they want their competition to stay in the dark ages mm. right as much as they can so it's it's both you know in service of making amazon a better company but denying that to their their competition which is uh. why shops like you know like walmart you know, they in-house as much as they can. Yeah. Cause they, they don't want to be held, held, you know, by their, by their, uh, vendors. I do think on the low code though, it, it, 
it, I see some, I don't know. I just feel like every few years someone is buying this and like, it just feels like one of these things that's on the, uh, the strategic plan is a low code environment and the M and a team is, you know, told to go out and buy one. And every few years, a different company buys it, but it never to me ever comes close to realizing like, you know, if you'll enabling or galvanizing like thousands of users. So I, I always think to myself, like it, it would, it would, I would just switch it around and I would cross out low code. If it was on the slide, I'd just be like, we're going to make it easy. We're going to teach people to code. We're just basically going to teach people Python, right? Like let's mm-hmm. just do that. Cause once we, when we can find enough people that, uh, that, that are willing that want to learn it and we can teach them that, and that will ultimately be so much easier to support going forward and so much more powerful. Like that to me, even somebody that gets really good at low code, they eventually, what they, end up usually doing is like going by then they figure out they know enough and they're like hey i'm just going to go learn one of these um you know something like python or some other language and that and then yeah. that's going to make them a lot more marketable and then suddenly they can do things that were taking you know maybe 30 minutes in a ui they you know just like anybody that gets into any type of coding right you're like oh i can just uh abstract out a couple things here and i can just run this and it's going to be a million times easier so yeah I, I just feel like at the end it's always it would be better to just be like we need to make it easier for people to learn the language of choice and most of the time that's going to give you a better outcome well, yeah. I, I, I don't think most people want to make that investment, though, right? So it talked about in, in the the uh, in the article it mentioned like citizen developers. It's like they're people who they have a problem to solve, and for eighty percent of them, they're going to touch this like once or twice. They'll hack something up, you know. The, I mean, like it's like writing Excel, you know, scripts. You'll do it a few times. You'll see that visual basic stuff and be like, nah, I don't feel like graduating that. Or, you know, if you do graduate that, you you know, you'd go a little bit farther, but you never like turn into a full blown, you know, .NET developer who runs off and, and, and joins the developer world. It's, it's, it's a comfortable cul-de-sac of, you know, of experience, but, you know, there's still a big barrier to, you know, becoming a general, general developer. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how it goes in the future as I watch, you know, my own son and, you know, maybe Matt, your kids a little bit older. But like, you know, like I, I think today, like one of the most popular things is like Python turtle and Python where you just basically use the turtle to like draw things on a thing and get functions. And it's like, I don't know, man, I watch these kids that are relatively, you know, elementary school age and they get they take to it so fast now. Right. And I'm just, oh, yeah. you know, like and it feels like kind of like Excel, like. I mean, it, it, because if if you really wanted to get into it, it's like maybe Excel is like the most low code environment ever, right? Because you see people do stuff in Excel, you're just like, it's incredible. You're just like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like the thing you just sent me. I know it's a spreadsheet, but like it doesn't even represent a spreadsheet. Like it's got a UI and automatic sales, and so. I, I don't know if it's a generational thing or something along those lines, where it's like, no, everyone like. If you, because if any of you ask people like you need to be proficient in Excel, there's a lot of people would be like, absolutely, I got to do it. But if you just said to them, well, I also need you to learn Python. You know, really, if you know Excel and some of the stuff you're doing in Excel, like it'd actually be easier for you to learn Python and do this than it would be yep. to continue. To, and um, and not being afraid, where it's like, well, that's a programming language. I'm a spreadsheet person. I'm like, no. At some point in these spreadsheets, you've actually graduated into like full blown IDE uh, that is so complicated. So let's just take the the next step, right? Like you already know about if then else. Oh, and absolutely. And commands. So yeah. so I don't know. I mean, I I hope. 
know, maybe it's the Juniper notebooks or Jupyter notebooks and the Python. I hope like, you know, the next generation, maybe they're just like, yeah, we're, we're willing to all just like, and I when I say like, you know, I think there's a huge difference between like professional developer, architect design versus like, no, I can get in there, pull in some uh, CSV JSON data, transform it to do what I want, right. Get some calculations. Like there's a big difference between that and I'm like building Netflix, you know? So, um, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I think that's where the world should go. You know, looking through their sample apps, this is, this is kind of like a little exciting deal they got going on here. I mean, I mean, they're all like they're all like these tiny little applications, like, and some of them are just ridiculous. Like, you don't need an app to tell you the United States population, but there's other ones that are like. There's a lot of them that are like, uh, like they're basically like digital clipboards, like your agriculture inspection app, or your like, uh, you're like safety audit checklist and you know they all they exactly fit into the uh, the category of uh useful applications not worth paying for <laughs> right <laughs> that 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 like you know which is which is a an exaggerated way of putting it but like you know like how are you going to justify like a big project to like digitize the way you're like doing your refrigerator inspections like it's kind of like a long slog to do that and then there's also a bunch of like chat bots which i guess and then also collaboration things which i guess is easy because you have two people log into something and they're kind of like playing with some forms but i you know i i think why it becomes uh you know where it's worth thinking about is like because it's google that's buying them right so like and the google cloud people and so, like, I guess, I guess you bolt that onto Google Cloud and you kind of enable, I don't know what they call it in their programming system, their primitives, what, whatever the building blocks are. Uh, cloud functions? Oh, no, no. I mean, the app sheet people, like what they, oh, what they yeah, call yeah, yeah. there. But, but you would, you would, I mean, you would add in whatever all the Google things are. And the next thing you know, you know, you can, uh, you can more easily search your agriculture stuff or like you can, you can start to, uh, you know, like like even with simple things with like photos, like you can take a photo of something and it sort of like can tell you all sorts of things. Like you could take a photo of some meat or some bread and be like, what do Ooh, I do bread. with this bread? And then it'll like identify the bread and how old it might be and all this kind of stuff. And so that, you know, it, it's like it's a weird. Uh, I don't know. This this seems like there would be something there beyond like, you know, the thing that we would normally encounter from um you know, CRM and service management companies where they're just like, well, this is just, we took a table and a database and we put pixels around it on a screen. <laughs> right. And, and instead here you can add in little uh, functionality to do things. But, and then, and then the other reason, like I would even, you know, think this much about it is like, I, I, I've been, I've been thinking about like the, uh, the, uh, the acquisitions that Apple makes, and every time I see them acquire a company, well, maybe not nowadays, but historically I would see them acquire a company. I'd be like, I, I don't understand what that little like, you know, chicken shit company does. Right. Like I remember when they acquired like that company that does like thumbprint scanning. I was like, I don't, I don't understand what this is, but lo and behold, that's a major feature or I guess not anymore. So like maybe there's like this seemingly little tiny thing here. And next thing you know, you know, you have a bunch of people developing apps on top of your platform. Which I guess Maybe. is the obvious thing, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. There's just a we'll lot see. of paper out there, forms. <laughs> amen. There, amen. There, amen. So many forms. Hmm. Well, I think you know. Speaking of forms, is there a form someone could fill out, Brandon, if if they wanted to, uh, if they wanted one to get stickers? 
And then, you know, if they're going to get these stickers, they're going to want to go show them off at a conference somewhere, right? So Absolutely. So I uh, want to thank a bunch of listeners. We had uh, sent stickers this week to uh, Jason out in England, James in Austin. And James, there's a little, used to work with Matt Ray and Cote at Funds Express. So I he remember. says hello. And uh, if you would like a sticker, just uh, send me an email with your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And also wanted to, uh, a couple of listeners have written in um, and um, want us to know about a couple of conferences. So uh, we talked about KubeCon last year. So we have KubeCon EU, the EU edition. It's going to be March 30th through April 2nd. And we've got a new discount code for that. It's uh, KCEUSDP1. P15. Don't worry if you didn't remember that. It's in the show notes. But if you use that, it'll give you 15% off. And I, I think I think we you may even get to see a sighting of Michael Cote uh, live oh. at e- CubeCon EU. That's if, right. Uh, if all things work out. So definitely check that out. And we also want to let uh, our friend, listener Brett, he wrote in about the, the that conference. So this is uh, August 3rd through the 6th. Um, and it's in uh, Wisconsin, so I would like to go to Wisconsin in August because it'll be really hot for here. But they they have this uh, this idea; it's kind of like summer camp for coders or tech people. So it sounds interesting. But they they have a call for counselors, but that really means call for Ooh, speakers, counselors. and that is open until uh, March first. So want to thank Brett for writing in. Uh, you probably get some stickers uh, from him if you're going to that conference. And uh, certainly, it looks like a fun conference, actually. It does have like a little camp counselor kind of our, our summer camp vibe. And uh, as I said before, I'll be jealous because it's in Wisconsin, and so it'll be nice and cool during the hot summer. So go ahead if you want to go there, if you're a dev evangelist or you need to find uh, some, um, some, some, something to say at a, a great conference, go uh, submit your paper by March 1st and see if you can get in there and give a great presentation. So that's, that's, that's the news from the listeners this week. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe what I need to do. I ordered this Python book for kids and it never came. So I should probably check on that. But uh, maybe I should get I should get my kids involved in low coding. We just mm-hmm. drag things together. They can understand. Uh, well, let me know what Python book you get because I'm looking for one. Now, right now, I'm just, I, I, I just sent my son back to the Internet. I was like, the Internet's just as good for all this stuff. Here's, here's all the commands. Yeah. But let me know if you find yeah. a good book. Yeah. I did the, the Minecraft book for my son and he read through it. He's like, I don't want to do Java. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They they have one for Python too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's that it's that publisher that has like all the very flat kind of uh it's like always the brown, covers are brown and they'll be that well, I don't know what to call that graphic design where there's there's no it's very two dimensional and very angular. And uh I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I, I need to actually see if I got a refund because it never came. Uh yeah. you know, speaking of getting refunds because of things that never came. Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this week? <laughs> uh, yes. Well, my recommendation is uh, uh, the sci-fi author, um, Bruce Sterling, uh, author, among other things. Um, he he and a, a couple of other folks do a uh, annual State of the World thread on the Well uh, website. It's a, it's just a, a, a interesting read about you know, the state of the world, you know, global politics, uh, culture, um, not exactly, you know, enterprise technology, but, uh, just, just the ins and outs of, of how people out there are thinking about things. It's just a fascinating read because there's always lots of side threads that you end up going down that, uh, are good. And it's, they kind of hash it out over, I don't know, a week or two. And so it's, I think they're about four or five pages in now, 
so so check that out. It's uh, always an interesting read. So there's more. I, there, there's uh, more of it. I only read like a day. I, I always think like this would be one of those things if I had a personal assistant. I think I say this every year when you mention this, but if I had a personal assistant, I'd be like, I want you to go to this page and just copy out the stuff Bruce Sterling is saying and give that to me. I don't want to see all this other. Well, the other stuff's good too, though, because I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it's curated or, or what, because I mean, most of the other people responding. Yeah, I, I, are, there's not a lot of junk in there. There's not like a, you know, first post kind of stuff. It's, it's usually like, that's um, fair. That's fair. I mean, th- this is in that same category of like, you know, I don't want questions from the audience. Not, not yeah. interested. I just, I just want, I just want the, also, it always, I always wonder like, how could anyone be that interested in like international politics? It just seems really. Dull. I don't know. I am. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I like reading it. Right. But it's just like, it seems like it would take a lot of effort to ongoing, have an opinion. Yes. Right. May, maybe that's just me. And, and also, it also makes me think like, you know, you always have to be careful with people who are like alluring writers about topics you're, you, you don't know much about. Cause like, Maybe they just like write really well. They've got some serious biases. Yeah. 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 And, and also it's just like a, a short, it, it's, it's sort of like the equivalent of like, you know, uh, talk, I don't know, all, all these tech coverage shows. Like I, I've been listening more to the, uh, what's, what's the one with, uh, Kara Swisher and the other guy, Brandon? Pivot, the Pivot yeah. podcast. Yeah. That one's all right. It's, 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 I, I think it's hilarious. Like at the end, they're always like, you know, we cover the tech world and I'm like, oh boy. Not really. Like you cover a very narrow slice of things, but who who knows like what what their details are. Anyways, what do what do you have to uh, recommend, Brandon? All right. Well, this week I'm gonna recommend the uh, the Slack Cleaner. So it's uh, basically a, a scripting utility that lets you go through and uh, using you know back to our low code versus command line to basically run some commands and it will let you uh, clean out uh, messages out of Slack channels. So like, why would you want to do that? Well, I'm working on this little project. With, with a group of people and you know eventually i'd like to i'll mention it here but uh we've been in the uh, slack so i created one and uh, we just put everything in the general channel but then i i got to kind of the end i was like well eventually we want to like open the slack up with more people and the general channel has like just a lot of like nonsense that's probably not good to, to be your first experience to new slack so this is what i did i you can uh without you know because i don't want to pay anything of course that's against you know it, it's that's it, against the side project manifesto can't pay anything so i exported uh, all the stuff out of the channel because that's for free in Slack. And then I imported it into a new channel in Slack and made that a private channel. And then, uh, and then with the Slack cleaner, so I didn't have to go through and manually sit there and try to, you know, delete hundreds of messages. I just ran this little utility and it was like, it's just perfect. So if you want to do things programmatically and you, uh, you're running a side project and you don't have money to pay for Slack, you can just use the Slack cleaner, um, a little command line utility, and it lets you do all kinds of stuff. Delete channels, delete messages from certain people. It's just a great utility. It's the, it's the kind of thing the internet is just perfect, right? You're sitting there and you're like, if only this thing existed, and you do a couple Google searches and you're like, not only does it exist, it's really great. Someone has done all the work for you. So uh, if you need to do that, check out the Slack cleaner. Mm. Man, so, some some uh, enterprise sales rep really missed their chance to uh, show you value. That's, that's, that's <laughs> they too did. Bad. They did. That's too bad. Well, I I, I have I have a, a tentative. I wouldn't call it a recommendation, but I've been trying to use this uh, Apple News Plus. Now, now hold on. You've probably seen there's this news app, 
and you probably look at it and you, you look at it once and then you delete it, which I have done. Uh, but, but you pay like $10 a month and, uh, then you get some, you, of course you get all the, those shit magazines. Uh, but you get some, some good magazines in there. And, and I've been thinking to the point of international news being boring. Like maybe I just need like that experience where you just like open up the newspaper and you see what's there. And I don't know. I'm having to, the problem they have is I have to spend a lot of time like blocking channels. Uh, like I, you know, there's something happening over there in England with the royal family. And like, <laughs> it, it really wants me to know about that. And I just, you know, don't care. Uh, but it is an interesting model where like you, you of course can say it just presents you news you think you might like. And you can also specifically follow things. But instead of like saying, here are the topics I'm interested in, only show me these things. It like shows you this other stuff. So you have to spend a lot of time training it and blocking things. And I don't Google know. Google News is kind of that way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, and, and I guess there is a comparison between those two, but it's, it's sort of nice. It's kind of like the reason I was interested in it is one to kind of see what the normal news is. And then also, uh, I mean, there's not really ads in it, which is kind of a different experience. There's definitely no GDPR stuff that I have to click on, which I like. Uh, but I don't know. It's kind of where you get, I think you get like a seven thirty day trial or something, but it's a, it's an interesting different viewpoint on how you would arrange stuff. And then of course it curses you with these dumbass URLs for things. If you actually yes. want to like share anything, which is just yes. like, which really... opens in Apple news instead of your browser. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I found some very uh, artful, like uh, do they call them Siri shortcuts now? Some very artful shortcut. Cause it turns out what happens is when you click on it, if you don't have the news app installed, it opens up this little page, this little HTML page. That's like, you know, you should get Google, Google news or, or not Google. You should get Apple news, or you can click on this to go to the original. So someone wrote some laboriously, speaking of low code, if you ever tried to make a shortcut, they like, they basically like run a regex on the eight, the returned page to find that the URL of that little link. And then they give that to you, which is, uh, I don't know. It seems like they could just give you the URL, the Apple people, but what do I know? Uh, so, so you could look into that. I don't know if I'm going to use it or not. Uh, so with that, this has been. Software Defined Talk, episode 100, and well, actually episode 214. You can tell I'm really on my game with this stuff. But if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 214. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of news things we didn't cover. You can click on uh, Brandon's Slack Cleaner. Save some money there if you want to clean things. And uh, I think with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I figure if you're still listening to this, you must like this kind of, uh, I don't know, enterprise infrastructure tech podcast. If so, and you're hungry for more, you should go check out Arrested DevOps. You can go look it up at ArrestedDevOps.com or whatever podcast thing you're listening in. Just search for Arrested DevOps. It's got plenty of good things. And also, uh, it's got a nice back catalog that's not always uh, super topical on a weekly basis. So you can comb through that, find plenty of things to listen to.